pray you'd bless your word today, Lord God. As we go through these scriptures, I pray that you would change the way we think about our money. Thank you, Father. And all of God's people said amen. So, just a little recap. Last week, Mike spoke about faith in finances. You remember that, and you saw the great shoes he was wearing. For those of you who don't know the joke, Mike's always got great shoes. It's a, yeah, he says it's not a joke, it's real. <laughs> it's completely real. But he spoke about faith for finances, faith for shoes. He also did, but you didn't hear that part. But he, he spoke about faith for finances. And the Bible talks about the fact that without faith, it is impossible to please God. That faith is actually the start, starting point for every part of the kingdom. And as Christians, we have faith to live within our budgets, to live within our incomes. Because when we start uh, living out of our income, what we are actually saying is, God, your provision for us is not enough. And so the first point of faith is that we choose to believe that God is good enough to take care of us. Therefore, we will live within our means. The second point of faith is that once we are living within our means, we are going to believe him for miracles. We are going to be like the, the woman who has... Um, whose husband died and was destitute and came to the prophet and said to him, um, what am I going to do? My husband, who's also a prophet, has died. They're about to sell my family into slavery. What should I do? And he said, bring me all the, all I have left is a little oil. And he said to her, bring me all your containers. And he said, pour the oil into the containers. And the faith of that woman said this, is that, in my impossible situation, there is a God, a creator, who will do a miracle that will blow the situation to smithereens. I'm sure she didn't use the word smithereens, but she meant it. And as a result, she brought every single container. You know, she was bringing pots and pans. You know, she was emptying the ink out of the ink pots and bringing those little things. She was, um, I don't know, her cosmetics. She was like pouring on the floor, bring that to the oil. And just until it got to the stage where every single container in her house was filled. And that's when the oil stopped. And her faith was, I will bring everything to this party because I know who I serve. And as she did that, God just brought about an abundance that was beyond her imagination. So faith says this, I don't have to live beyond what God has given me, but I will also believe for miraculous financial interventions, miraculous creative thinking, miraculous favor that will open financial doors, that will bring about an abundance, that will allow me not only to take care of my immediate responsibilities, but to take care of those out there, to be the miracle for those who don't have. And then next week, we're going to be talking about wisdom. We're going to be talking about how we govern our finances with great wisdom. The Bible talks about the fact that those who are faithful with little will be made faithful with much. And what it's talking about, it's not talking about, it's like, gosh, if I really, really prove to God that I'm fantastic with this 10 rand, he's going to give me a million rand. What it means is that as I learn the habits of dealing with this 10 rand in the right way. As I discipline myself to tithe, to be generous, to live within my income, to, to follow the leading of the Spirit, to invest wisely, 
with this 10 rand, those same habits will make me successful with a million rand. And therefore God, seeing, seeing that I did not blow myself into pieces with this 10 rand. The word smithereens just keeps coming to my mind. I don't know what that is. But because I didn't blow myself up with that 10 rand, I handled it wisely. I did well with it. Therefore, when he gives me the million, I will also do well. And my family won't fall apart. And I won't make the wrong decisions. And I won't harm myself or people with that million rand. So God is merciful and good all the time. And then today we're going to be talking about generosity. A key to freedom. And I'm, yeah, sorry, I was just deciding where I needed to go next, but this is what I'm going to do, is that all three of these, faith, generosity, and wisdom, combine to place, create an environment in your heart where you are a good steward of your finances. You know, it's not all just about faith. It's also about faith and wisdom. And it's not just about faith and wisdom. It's also about faith and wisdom and having a heart of generosity. That these finances are not just for me. These finances are for the world. These finances are for the kingdom. That nothing that I own or have produced is mine anyway. It's all God's. And therefore, he is so generous that he lets me keep the majority of it. What am I going to do? to mimic his heart to be a generous person. And as those three are in operation and we're incorporating all of them in our lives, we become outstanding stewards of what God has, and that is the place of increase, as I have already said. So generosity sets us free to prosper, and probably the greatest chapter on generosity is 2 Corinthians 9. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, but we are going to talk about it. That talk, that scripture starts with this outstanding phrase. It says, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows generously will also reap generously. And very common phrase, we all know it, but what we don't often know is that Paul, who wrote this letter, was writing to a church to ask them to get an offering ready for him to give to Jerusalem. The Jerusalem church was suffering. They didn't have money. They'd be in a a drought there, and um, there was a lot of poverty happening in the city, and so the churches in the outlying vicinities were taking up offerings to send to Jerusalem. And he was writing to them to prepare that offering so that when he came, he wouldn't have to beg them or cajole them. It would just be ready. Yes. And in just before this, he commends the churches in Macedonia to them. And he says this to them. These churches, out of there, it uses these words, abject poverty. Yes, that's right. In other words, these were churches that didn't have a lot. But he said, out of their abject poverty, they swelled up an overwhelming generosity. In other words, he was saying, the provision for these offerings are not coming from millionaires, billionaires, kings and princes. The provision for the church in Jerusalem is coming from ordinary people like you and me. People are struggling. Well, not we're not in abject poverty, but <laughs> it's coming from people who are, who are battling to make ends meet. 
meet. But they have a faith in a God who is beyond that. They like that, that widow who's saying, God, anything I need is going to be there. So I have no fear in giving to others. And he goes on and he says this, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. <laughs> and that word cheerful that he used leaves no doubt as to what it means. It is the word for hilarious, like overwhelmingly funny, just crazy, outrageous joy. And I don't know what was happening in these churches. I don't know if they were like started playing music every time it was offering time and they got out of their seats and started dancing down the aisle or, or what it is. But he was, he was talking about how God loves people who are not like, oh my gosh, it's offering time. I've got, look, if I was sitting all alone, I wouldn't give anything, but there's this person sitting next to me and they're going to see, so I'm going to have to, gosh, what's the smallest note I have in my wallet? Oh, okay, give that one. And it's not that it's not that God. If you know, I've had times when I felt like that. <laughs> but then I remembered. I remembered who we're serving. And I also know that there's a spiritual force in the world that wants to take hold of your heart, your thinking, and your peace and crush it. It wants to tell you day in and day out that your well-being depends on your salary. Your well-being depends on the kind of house you live in. Your well-being depends on the car you drive. And let me tell you, I want you to drive nice cars. I want you to live in nice houses. But I want you to tell you this. I want to also tell you it won't make you happy. And the way we loose the grip of that spiritual force, mm -hmm. that force of greed and selfishness, is that we laugh in its face and we say, here's a thousand rand church. Here's a thousand rand neighbor. And maybe a thousand rand is very little for you. Then just add noughts to the end of it. And I do it with a smile on my face because I know as I do it, the enemy's kingdom is being crushed. That I am making a declaration that is not just I'm giving. It's a declaration that there is a good and faithful God who is taking care of me. And as I give this, he will so abundantly make up for it that I have nothing to worry about. In fact, he promises 36 and 100 fold return on the things we give. And we don't give to get the return. But here's the thing. You can't outgive God. Yeah. And what generosity does is it, it takes you out of the grip of the world's economy and puts you in the blessing of God's economy. It takes your value system out of the world's economy and puts it into God's economy. Wow. It changes everything. Wow. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you relate to finances. It changes the way you relate to people. Yeah. You know, if I have given this great brother a lot of money, which I haven't, but you never know. <laughs> but if I had given him a lot of money, I promise you this, I'm going to be really interested in how his life is going because I'm invested in him. You know, giving changes 
everything. It goes on and says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. How many of you want to abound in every good work? It's God's plan for you. And he finishes off and says, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Oh, my word. There has been a teaching through the ages that God finds poor people more righteous than wealthy people. Could you just lift up your right foot, put that belief underneath it, and just bring it down really hard? The Bible is clear from start to finish that God hates poverty with a passion. He finds it despicable. He hates the damage it does to hearts, the damage it does to families, the strain it puts on relationships. He hates it. In fact, the first five books of the Bible, one of the reasons he allowed them to be written is because he said, I want no poor people amongst you. Now, here's the thing, that there are as many wealthy people who are, who are poor as there are poor people who are poor. Because poverty is a spirit that says, I don't have enough. And whether your bank balance says, says a million or there is or zero, you can live under the grip of, I don't have enough, just as well. But the bottom line is God hates poverty, hates it, hates it, hates it. His plan for you is to prosper you. And why? It's very clear why. He wants to prosper you so that you can be generous. Because as a Christian, deep in your heart, I guarantee you this. I guarantee you. When you bless someone, it thrills you. Because you were born after your father. And that's how he is. Every one of you the thought that you could make a difference in someone's life, the thought that you could change a nation, that you could change a community, that you could change your family, that you could be a blessing to your neighbor is a very delightful thought. And God wants to give you the capacity to live that, to live out that dream. You know what? Dads, moms here, I bet you the reason, deep down, if you had to think about it, the reason that you want a bigger salary or a promotion is because you want to make sure that your children go to the good schools, have good food, are able to wear nice clothes. Yeah. That's not a selfish thing. That's you saying, I want my finances to be a blessing to those around me. Yeah. I want when their friends come around. I want their friends to come to my house and leave so blessed that all they can say is, Mom and Dad, I want to be at their house every day. And that Jesus that they serve, I want that Jesus. Now, guys, don't go out and buy gold knives and forks. Yeah, they don't last. <laughs> that God's not talking about that. He's talking about a kind of prosperity that is free, alive, giving, blessing. It's like you suddenly are no longer just yourself. You become a conduit of the glory of God 
falling down from heaven and invading earth. Amen. So three things I want to note. I know I've noted a lot more than three things, but three things especially I want to note from the scripture is that first of all, generosity is considered and rational. And what I mean by that is, I'm going to ask you to go home and I'm going to ask you to look at what you get in on a, in a, in on a month. And I want you to say, this much is my tithe, this much I need for my rent, da, 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 and this much I'm going to give away. This is my generosity portion. And I'm going to talk about how big that portion will be later. So hold your breath. It's coming. But I'm going to take this portion and I'm going to work out how to be generous with it. So there are, I'm going to support this person. I'm going to pay that person's school fees. I'm going to do something with it. Or I'm just going to divide it up into 10 red notes and put it in my car door. And every time anyone knocks on my window for food, I'm going to give it to them. So that's between you and God. It's like, how is my generosity going to bless the world? But it's not going to be this random thing. Someone knocks on my window and I think, do I have money? Don't I have money? What's there? What's not? Okay, give this. And then I have nothing for food next month. It's not, it's not like this unconsidered random. It's like, I have decided. I, I have not under compulsion. I have made a decision that this is what generosity looks like in my life. And I'm going to live it. The next thing is that it is fueled by grace. Yeah. You know what I'm going to also challenge you? When you find that generosity lump in your income, that you just expanded a little bit. Because it's not just about you, it's about God. And grace is this. It's not God just saying, whether you give or not, I don't care. He cares. Yeah. He really cares. Yeah. But it's about God coming to live inside of you and allowing you to do what you could not do before. It's him giving you capacity to step past the fears and be generous where you couldn't have been that without him. So I know there have been times when I have seen a need in front of me and I felt God say to me, you meet that need. And the fear has risen up and I thought, oh my word, how am I going to pay this or that or that? And then I've gone to God and I've said, God, in order to do this, I'm going to need grace. And as I knelt there before him, I felt the peace fill my heart. I felt him speak to me saying, do not fear. I will take care of that or I will do this or this is already there. Don't worry about that. And then I've had the grace to give. And it's been glorious. And so that's what I'm saying. It's, it's rational, but it's also graceful. It's empowered by a loving God. And the last thing is that it's always applicable on every occasion. <laughs> if you are uncertain what to do, generosity is always the right course. If you're uncertain how to go, how to respond to the situation in front of you, generosity is always the right course. There's an interesting story in Luke 10. Not Luke 10, sorry, Acts 10. It's the story of Cornelius. Can you all say Cornelius? He was a Roman centurion. And believe it or not, he was a Gentile. He, he wasn't brought up in the Jewish faith, but he had a belief in God. And him and his household served God passionately. He prayed and they gave generously to the poor around them. One day, the Bible says very specifically, at three o'clock in the afternoon, an angel appeared to him and said this, 
Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up before God as a memorial before him. How many of you would like an angelic visitation? Because your giving comes up as a memorial before God. He knows. And it speaks of where your faith is. And when God sees a generous heart, he opens heaven. And he brings supernatural direction, provision, life, blessing in that place. Generosity dictates our standard of living. Mark 12 tells this interesting story. Jesus is sitting in the temple. And it says this very specifically. He positioned himself so he could see what everyone was putting in the offering. You know that thing that goes, it's a private affair what I give. Jesus didn't feel like that. I mean, he, I mean, I don't know how close you have to be to see what everyone's putting in the offering. I mean, with our bags, you have to be very close. <laughs> but he made sure he could see everything. And he noted how the wealthy were putting in these large donations. But proportionally to their salary, they were very little. It's just like a, the token off the top. Oh, we won't need this this month. Bam, let's go and put it in the offering and let's do it with great, great fanfare so everyone can see. And then this widow came along, again a widow, and it says she put in two very small copper coins and Jesus commended her and said, she has put in out of her poverty everything she needed to live. So what does this say about generosity? It says that generosity is not an amount. Generosity is a proportion. So remember I said, how much is that generosity portion? It's that which demands you lower your standard of living to do it. Silence. What it literally means is that in order for me to be a generous person, I have to examine the way I live and curtail certain things on purpose so that I have more money to give. It means that when I go to buy a car, I have the capacity to buy the top-of-the-range Mercedes, and I choose to buy the the middle-of-the-road Mercedes. Why? Because I want to give the the race to someone else to buy a car. Or, you, you know, you choose how big that gap is. It means when I go to buy a house, I I choose to buy the slightly smaller house so that I can pay back more easily so that I can have free money to give and bless and invest. Great, I think I made that point. Are you all happy? (laughs) Shall I go into something else more cheery? generosity dictates our standard of living and our standard of living should always be less than our income cost less than our income that's quite unusual in today's day and age and we should use the remainder as our generosity portion but here's something that you will note as a generous person your income is going to grow Because it's the nature of things. It's the nature of the kingdom. And you're going to have to answer this question, what am I going to do when my income grows? And I would like to propose to you, this is something 
that a friend of mine told me, he's a very wealthy man, told me years ago, is that him and his wife made this decision, that they were going to decide on what a reasonable standard of living was. And it's a good standard of living. They're not living below the poverty line. They're not suffering in any way. Their children go to great schools. They have great holidays. They drive good cars. They live in a good house. But they decided on what their standard of living was. And they said, as my income increases, I'm not going to raise my standard of living. I'm going to ra raise my standard of giving. Your choice. How many stars do we really need in the universe? Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> I mean, stars look great. When you go out in the night sky and you're with that special girl, that special guy, those stars create a beautiful backdrop for all kinds of things. But you know, maybe a billion would do. But God, when he was making the universe, he didn't just do a billion. I don't know how many he did. I can't even say that number. You know, our, our probes, our space probes and our telescopes are still heading into the blue yonder of the universe and still discovering galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies upon millions upon millions upon millions of even billions of stars. We will never see those stars. Our children's children's children will never see those stars. And even if we do see the, those stars, we'll only see them as they were billions of years ago because that's how long the light takes to get here. Why did God do that? Because that's just how he is. Yeah. He's a generous God. When he feeds 5,000, there are 12 baskets left over. Why? He's just like that. That's right. When he does stuff, there's always more than enough. He's a generous God. Guys, when he says, I'm going to bless you, that means you will have enough for everything you will ever need, plus you you. You are, should be, and will be asking this question, God, what am I going to do with all this extra? And you say to me, don't you see the struggles I am under? And I'm going to say to you, step out of where you are, step into the kingdom and look at things differently. Because even though you may not have the money or the cash flow that you, that you think you need, you have something because that is his nature. You have more than you will ever need. It just doesn't look like how you expected it to look. And when you start looking through new eyes, through the understanding of this generous God and looking at everything you have in a different way, it changes everything. You know, there was a time when I'd, we didn't have a lot of money. We've had it regularly through our lives and we've had time when we've had more money than we knew what to do with. I like the second kind of time. <laughs> But there was this time when we didn't have much and I knew this principle of generosity. And I went and I said, God, what do I have to give? And he said, open your cupboards. And I opened my cupboards and as I am true to all womanhood, I have a lot of clothes. And I opened that and he said, how much of this do you wear? And it was true that I didn't wear all that much of it. And he said, give everything away. I kept a few. <laughs> like I had to wear something the next day, you know what I'm saying? Do you know within, it was maybe about three weeks, maybe it was even less than that, like from four different 
arenas, people had just come with like bags of clothes, like like bought at the best boutiques, never worn, label still on. Carol, I don't know why, we just felt like we're supposed to give this to you. Like stuff I would never in my wildest imagination have even thought of buying. Yeah. Not because I didn't like it, but because I thought it was a bit expensive. Yeah. And there it was, you know, like for that next six months, I was dressed like a queen. When our children were young, people used, I mean, we were in Namibia as missionaries, nothing. We had no money, but we had everything. My children were dressed so well. I mean, they had, really, they were the best dressed children in the neighborhood. Why? Because for some weird, wild, uncanny reason, people felt like they had to give me really cute clothes for my children. They loved my children so much, they thought, gosh, these children must have the best. And they did. Karen, one day, we were in the kitchen, and a friend was over, and she said, oh, I love peanut butter. I don't think she even liked it that much. The next day, the friend arrived with three enormous tubs of peanut butter just for Karen. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just like that. That's how the kingdom of God is. And you may not have the bank balance you always want, but I'm telling you this, you will always have more than enough. God is generous. There's this really, this is the last story I'm going to tell, but it's a really freaky story. It's one of the parables Jesus told. And I tell you, I must have read it a hundred times before I could even get my mind around it. It goes like this. Jesus says, the kingdom is like this. There was a landowner. And he wanted to, he had a vineyard. He wanted to harvest the grapes. And he goes to some people and he says, come work in my vineyard. And he says, I promise to pay you a denarius, which I don't know what it is, day's wages. They come and they work in the vineyard. Halfway through the day, he sees a whole lot of people just sitting by the roadside. He says, what are you doing there? Come work in my vineyard. He says, I'll pay you a denarius. Already, I'm like, huh? They're only half a day. I mean, it goes to, I think there are four different times he finds people and asks, asks them to come and work in his vineyard and each time he promises them the same amount and then he finds people that are coming an hour before close of day they come and work for him and what does he give them? a denarius and then guys I, I don't blame them at all when time comes for pay the people who've been working since the beginning are up in arms it's like what? we worked through the heat of the day we did most of the work and we get the same as these people who only arrived an hour before. Are you outraged? I mean, really, for the first hundred times, I promise you, I don't know if it was a hundred times, but a lot of times I read it, I was outraged. It's like, this is not fair. This is not right. And God said this to me so clearly, I'm not fair. I'm just. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, everybody gets everything. My justice is this, is that I died on the cross so that you could be treated as if you were the perfect, perfect son. And therefore you get everything in my kingdom. And I give to you as if you were Jesus Christ, not as if you are who you are. And that means it doesn't matter how long you've been at this thing, how hard you've worked, everything of the kingdom is available to you because you profess Jesus Christ as Lord. Guys, it's mind-blowing. It's like, this can't be. There cannot be a God that's that good. There cannot be a God that is that generous. But church, this is who he is. 
This is who he is. Honestly and truly. You have access to every part of the kingdom. Every part of the kingdom is yours. He treats you as a beloved son or daughter. Because if he'd given those clothes to Andrew, he would have been very upset. But that's who God is. He's generous. And as a result, we can be generous. Two thoughts about this that I want to make in closing. First of all, God is not fair, but he is just. At the end of this parable, it makes the statement, Jesus, or the landowner makes the statement to those guys that are upset about having to work so hard. And he says this, are you envious because I am generous? How many of you have seen people that are blessed more than you? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> it has the potential to do this thing in your heart that's very ugly. It's like, gosh, why did that person get that? You know, can't God see that they're selfish, unkind, and they cheated? And they're so blessed, and I'm working so hard, and I'm not blessed. And it's a sign that like those early workers, you're living in the economy of the world. And God's inviting you to step out of that economy into his economy. And he's inviting you to say, look at the blessing that that person has. That's the kind of generous and good God I have. Therefore, I can have that too. That their, their blessing is not a statement of my undoing. It's a statement of my potential. It's me able to look at that blessing and say, that's a prophecy to me about what God is doing in my life. Because I might be the person that's only called up at the 11th hour, but everything, everything is available to me also. Amen and amen. amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are good and faithful that your ways are above our ways, that you love us passionately, that you are generous, that you make a way for us. Lord God, that we can be generous on every occasion because you have been good to us at all times. Lord God, I pray that you would take our eyes off our own ability and you would put our eyes on your ability, Lord God. I pray that you would deliver us and help us from our fears, from our insecurities, from our small-mindedness, Lord God. Thank you, my Lord. Thank you, my Lord. Thank you, my Lord. Thank you, my Lord. One thing I want to quickly pray is, if you are here and you know that you have been living far away from Jesus, maybe you haven't been doing bad things, but maybe you have, but you know in your heart you've been living far away from him. And you would like to make a change in that regard and you would like to surrender to him. You would like him to take charge of your life and you would like to start again. And if that's you, I'd love you to raise your hand while every head is bowed just to let me know that you would like me to pray for you. So if that's you, could, would you mind raising your hand? If there's anyone here that you would like to commit or recommit your life to Jesus. Awesome. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Church, can we all pray this prayer together?
Can we just say this, Lord Jesus, I come to you and I surrender my life to you. Lord, I confess that I've lived away from you and Lord, I don't want you anymore. Lord, I turn from that and I give my whole life to you. I ask that you would be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Awesome. I'm going to ask those people who prayed that prayer to recommit their lives or you prayed it for the first time. I'm going to ask if you wouldn't mind doing a favor. It's a way of 